Well, hello, and welcome back to Ghost Stories Told from the South. I'm your host, Stephen LeBooth, and I've got some creepy, creepy stuff for you today. It will scare you right out of your pants. <laughs> All right, I'll quit being a dork. But I'm glad you guys are back. Uh, this is Stephen LeBooth, guys. And this is Ghost Stories Told from the South, episode 111. 11. I turn it to 11. 11. It goes to 11, not 10. 11. Anyways, hope everybody's been having a great time listening to some spooky stories or watching some scary movies or something. Just keeping it spooky, man. Keeping it scary. Halloween can last all year, man. I love Halloween. I love the creepy stuff. You just, I love it. Well, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been downloading, subscribing. The numbers are going up, and I appreciate it so much. Keep it up, guys. You're doing a great job, man. It's it's uh, it's awesome. Like I said, I do this out of my own house and my own time. I don't make any money off of it. And, uh, yeah. Give me a minute. I'm going to move something, so if I make a bunch of noise, I'm sorry. Okay, there we go. Well, my... Uh, cover for my uh my <clears throat> was uh the bar was in the way for the youtube viewers so that's another thing guys keep checking out my youtube channel i always uh bring stuff up on it and i always keep it up to date as much as i can so heck yeah don't forget to check us out on facebook too and on instagram but check us out on uh facebook it's ghost stories told from the south like i've always said guys Y'all uh, tell me your stories or give me something to look up from your hometown and uh, I'll talk about it on the show, man. I love researching and talking about the ghost stuff. All right. Well, I guess I will quit yapping. I've told everybody thanks and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. But let's get on with our... Now, today, we're going to be covering Louisiana. I got three stories. Two of them are pretty long. The middle one's kind of shorty, so it's going to be about maybe a 30-minuter, but uh, who knows, man? Who knows? But let's get on with the scary, scary stories. <laughs> okay, our first story is the Tranguilla. Uh, sorry, I'm tongue-tied. It's a, senator, a sanatorium. Tranquil. Tranquil Sanatorium. Sorry, I got tongue-tied. But it's Tranquil Sanatorium in Louisiana. Let's uh, see what we got in store for you. The haunted train... The uh, haunted sanatorium... Sanatorium is located in Camp Loops, British Columbia, Canada. Oh, I'm sorry. Two of these stories are going to be from Louisiana, and one of them is left over from when I did Canada. My bad. Sorry, sorry. Okay, in uh, Columbia, Colum British Columbia, Canada. It was built in 1907 to treat tuberculosis, otherwise known as the White Plague. The grounds that the uh, hospital was built on were previously used for ranching before the British previously used it for uh, ranch. Oh, before the British Colombian government 
purchase the land for the con- uh, for the construction of the sanatorium. Originally, the faculty was named the King Edward. I don't not good in my Roman Roman number. I'm not good with my Roman numerals numbers. So I think this is like King Edward's the eighth. I think. Uh, sanatorium and served tuberculosis patients, especially during the peg, uh, pe- uh, plague of the uh, century or whatever. Okay, the British Columbia Society for the uh, Preservation and Treatment of... Uh, anyways, the Historical Division held its very first uh, meeting January of 1904 to begin the plans and the fundraising necessary to build an isolated tuberculosis sanatorium. They soon discovered a prop- property for sale after uh, after, ri- uh, after raising $58,000. Now, that's back then. They bought the land, and they don't say how much they paid for it. But still, though, 58 acres. Fit, uh, 58 acres. I'm a retard. $58,000. They purchased 2,000 acres. That was, man, I wish I could go back in time and do that right now. Shit. <coughs> but anyways, where was I at? Meeting, plans, okay. Cost $58,000 to get it built. They uh, they bought six, oh, six, 600 acres from a, fa- a family of earlier settlers, William Fer- uh, Furniture. They also took over the lease of an additional two thousand. Oh, okay. So they got two thousand and six hundred acres all together. God dang. Uh, two thousand acres from the Dominion government. Thus, Tranquilly, Tranquilly. The sanatorium was born with just a uh, hop, skip, and a jump st- uh, stateside. You can. Experience New York's most haunted. Oh, that was an advertisement. I'm a jackass. The hospital opened in 1904, 1907, and by 1910, it could uh, house 49 patients and 12 employees. That's not very many uh, employees. Attendance or 12 employees and attendance four nurses. Eventually, the sanatorium had 360 beds. About half of those admitted to the sanatorium paid for their uh, stay. It cost patients about $55 a month with the uh, average stay lasting for 200 days. So it cost you $55 a month, and it depended on how long you stayed there is how much you paid. At one point in the hospital's history, patients were not allowed to open open the open their own mail and even were made to work out uh, work without pay. So they was making them uh, do uh, work and stuff and make stuff and not make any money off of it, which was seen as uh, therapeutic. Food, money, clothing, and other items were prohibited from being brought to patients from the visitors. As the tuberculosis epic spread throughout the uh, 1900s, a small community formed around the hospital. Apathily named uh, Tranquil, after the sanatorium, 
tranquil sanatorium. The small town had gardens, houses, a gymnasium, a farm, a fire department, and more. There was a there was common with the sanatorium's build in the uh, Kirkbright style as a design influenced by Dr. Thomas story a special type of design for the mental as, uh, asylum which are charged by which are characterized by their bat wing floor plan and sprawling grounds okay this just tells about some of the santoriums he built who cares about them i want to hear about the tranquil in 1958, the Tranquil Sanatorium closed its doors, but it reopened in 1959 to treat those with mental disabilities. It closed permanently in 1983, but briefly functioned as a detention center for young offenders until the 1990s. When its uh, tenure serving the area finally ended, in September of 1991, the uh, president of A&A Foods bought the land to turn it into a resort and named it Padavaya City as a reminder of its homeland. There were plans in place for the, uh, for the demolish of the site, but interference from the government and some other uh, local folks Owned, uh, uh, owned unrelated 1997 court case pre prevented his idea from coming to uh, coming to to fit coming to truth. You know that's crazy. He was gonna just demolish everything and just fuck it. And I don't get that with people with money. They just come in and just take. I'm gonna buy your land. Y'all can find somewhere else to live here. Here's money. You know, not knowing that that. Land was probably in their family's property for years. The abandoned site of the sanatorium is now a fertile land used for agriculture, agriculture, and is known as Tranquil Farm Fresh. Escape rooms and heritage tours are now offered <coughs> at the old sanatorium. Some famous movies have even been filmed in the land, such as The Eighteen and Firewall. People from all over the world have sought out to have sought out a visit to Tranquil, especially those interested in the haunts that are reported there. Said to be one of the Canada's most haunted locations, Tranquil Sanatorium has seen its fair share of death and uh, dismay. Well, you got to think it was back from the the uh, uh, tuberculosis days. And then there was an insane asylum for a little bit. So it probably has some dark history there. Because a lot of them places didn't treat their patients very nice at all. They were dicks to them. That's what I hear. That's what I heard. Uh, where was it? Okay. People from all over the world have sought out a visit to Tranquil, especially in the interest of the... Okay. already said all that, you ding-dong. The tuberculosis claimed many lives at Tranquil. Tunnels that run under the property are said to have been used to only transport dry goods to the hospital, 
but to transport uh, bodies and bodies. Bodies out of the out to the cemetery located on the property. This was believed to be better for the mental health of the uh, patients still fighting the illness. It was thought that they should uh, be subject to seeing corpuses leaving the uh, building on a daily basis, which makes sense because that's a that was kind of a training thing when they built these places for the tuberculosis there's even some old uh, sanatoriums here in uh, america that they have tunnels leading out you know for for goods and stuff but it was most importantly it was for um the bodies because i mean that tuberculosis was killing people left and right so i could i could understand that visitors to this sanatorium these days have these days come looking for a uh touristy thrill but are left with much more than what they bargained for some patreons experience uh, disembodied moans and groans that are certainly not part of the uh, historic tour given to the hospital and others have seen and reported seeing apparitions wandering the grounds as well as orbs uh, fly, uh, uh, fluttering around the property and hallways of uh, massive structures of ma- oh I'm sorry property in the hallways of the massive structure. The hauntings at Tranquil are re- reminiscent of the ones reported at the uh, Athens uh, the Athens Asylum in in Ohio. While many deaths occurred in around the uh, asylum, as few truly stand out, one tells of a patient named Margaret Schelling who disappeared on December 1st of 1978. It wasn't until January the following year that her body was discovered in a long-abandoned ward where her autopsy showed she died of a heart failure. She was found completely named with her clothing neatly folded next to her more interesting in the uh permanent stain that her body left behind so her clothes were she was naked and her clothes were folded by her and her body like this colored the ground she was on that's weird okay where was i at yeah, her body stained the ground. That's crazy. Imprint, uh, and it left an imprint on the floor, unable to be removed by numerous cleaning stuff. So, it happened. Oh, it was in the in a room. Okay, it was part of the abandoned ward. Yeah, and she was found in there. That's crazy, though. Her man and her body stained the floor. Wow. Her spirit is said to be seen uh, staring down from the window of the room where her body was found. She's also been seen attempting uh, escaping, and is not and is known known the wanderer in the build uh, to wander the building at night. So that one sounds pretty creepier out there, but I mean that is strange how she died. Makes you wonder, man, because I've heard cases like that where they found their bodies and their foes were clothes were folded neatly by them. Other former patients are also said to have uh, stayed behind. 
appearing as full-bodied apparitions standing in the empty wings of the former hospital. Disembodied voices, yells, squealing gurneys, strange lights, and screams are also known to be heard. It seems as if the echoes of this place are are of the healing and they are still heard. Regardless of the purpose that sight serves now, the uh, energies from the patients of the past remain at the Tranquil Sanatorium. That one was pretty good. I will admit I like that one. But, I mean, it's always weird, though. In a place like that, with so much history, there's always something spooky-wooky because they didn't treat their patients very nice back then. They were kind of dicks, so... Big buttheads. Mortals. All right, now the next two are Louisiana. <sighs> Man, that one lasted pretty long. Let me take a break, wet the old whistle, and we will be right back with some scary stories. Well, how's everybody doing today? This is good old friend Uncle Dickie from Borderline Texas Trash. The most popular podcast in the world today it's climbing up the charts faster than freaking slime on a stein baby well if you're wondering what the hell is borderline texas trash about and who is it some bitch uncle boo well uncle boo is the most recognizable voice in podcasting today babies we're gonna get funky like a monkey on some ton of greens i'm coming in on white lightning baby on a silver saddle to bring you the best of borderline texas trash baby I'm your host of the show, Uncle Boo. We go over everything. We do a little bit of politics at the end, but not much. I don't step into that bullshit a whole lot. But we have fun. I go over stupid world news of the day, talk about uh, stuff from the past, what the cost of living or stuff was like that, and we just talk about all sorts of fucking fun facts, do a little joking around, and my niece joins the show sometimes. We do a little segment called Ash Handy's Garage on Friday nights, baby. That's our live show we do sometimes. And then I got the uncle that I talked to down in uh, Booseville, Louisiana. And he calls sometimes. And we have a little show called Uncle Dickie's Corner. So you guys come check out Texas Borderline, Borderline Texas Trash, baby. I know you will love it. We are on every platform you can think of. Spotify, Stitcher. Pandora, iHeart, uh, I mean, we're on everything. We're even on Podbean, man. We even got our own YouTube channel. We even got an Instagram account, and we got our Facebook account. So go check us out, man, and come listen to the show. You'll get to listen to Ash Handy, Uncle Boo, Uncle Dickie, and all the most recognizable voices in this motherfucking podcast in the world today, babies. Because we will get funky like a monkey, I guarantee it. Let's just say, baby, I've wine and dine with kings and queens, slept in dumpsters, ate pork and beans, baby. But I am your host of the show, Uncle Boo, Borderline Texas Trash. Don't forget about it. If you want to listen to a show to just get your mind off this crazy world and all the COVID and politics bullshit, <coughs> come check my show out. Come check me and my crazy family out. Some of the shit we do, we do live uh, shows from the barbecue. So I'll see you later. Bye. Well, I hope you liked that commercial. I hope it didn't scare you. That's one of my other podcasts. All right, our next story is the uh, Myrtle 
plantation in Louisiana. Okay. Okay, the National Geographic Explorer film crew determined that the photograph definitely contained what appeared to be an apparition of what they believe to be was these was a slave girl. This slave girl ap- appeared in a breezeway between the general store and the butler's uh, pantry of the uh, mansion. Okay, this is of the Myrtle Plantation, and there's its one famous picture they took. And you could clearly see uh, a woman, a young black woman dressed back in them times like she was a slave, dressed like that in between the buildings, just clear as day. It's creepy. You ought to check it out. Where's that? The uh, okay. The horizontal entity boards of the uh, mansion were clearly visible through the body of the apparition. National Geographic Explorer used the photograph in their documentary and suggested that a postcard should be made of the uh, photograph. Mrs. Norman Bennett, a patient researchist, visited the uh, Myrtle's uh, plantation in May of 1995 and requested permission to research the uh, postcard. After enlarging the postcard and doing a shadow disentity procedure, Miss Benoit discovered that all the uh, physical measurements of the apparition were of a human human figure or proportioned like a human. The confirmation of the uh, head and the length of the shoulders to the elbow and the length of the elbow to the wrist were all uh, measured uh, and they were like the the same size of a human's. This postcard is referred to as the uh, Chloe Postcard. Okay, why here? Okay, what do we got? Do you see the younger? Okay, this is uh, starting out. This is starting out kind of weird. So if it starts out kind of bizarre, because this is supposed to be other strange happenings. Here are some uh, other uh, ghostly stuff, I guess, that has happened here. So, do you see the young girl dressed in... Do you see the young girl dressed in antebellum clothing who appears to be peering out of the large window? She is standing in the window to the left of the white rocking chair. The young girl appears to be looking directly into the camera. Her eyes and her dress are clearly visible in the photograph. But what remains unclear is how this girl and how did she get there. She is referred to as the ghost girl of the uh, Myrtle Plantation. The digital image was taken at the uh, Myrtle Plantation and was sent to Dave Young of uh, Pladian Paranormal for his opinion. Dave and dear friend and uh, supporter of the uh, plant... Myrtle Plantation knew we would uh, appreciate seeing the photo 
and learn and learning the explanation behind it. Dave was amazed at what preceded itself in the photo and immediately sent it to one of their other professional friends, including the uh, Society of Physical Research in bloody old England, founded in uh, 1882. This is the oldest, most prestigious paranormal research group in the world. Excuse me. The photo was uh, taken of a teacher and some other students on the uh, courtyard at the Myrtle Plantation with a Sony CyberShot. Anyways, same, uh, of a so it was taken with a Sony camera. Without going into the techno explanation that included capitalizing the full-size uh, life comparison system, shutter s speed, anyways... It's really describing the fucking camera. I could care less about getting into detail with the camera. Okay, the photograph contains to travel the world being uh, thoroughly researched, but still without explanation, they still call her the ghost girl. Anyways, they say uh, one of the... That girl, her name's Chloe. Well, what happened was... She was a uh, a slave girl, and she was uh, in one of the inside girls. She worked inside. Well, she. Uh, anyways, what am I doing? Anyways, she uh, started feeling like she was uh, gonna lose her spot. You know, she didn't want to. She liked being inside and taking care of the family. She didn't want to be sent back outside in the fields. So what she did is, the story goes, that she put a little bit of poison or something, some kind of poison plant around the house or in the woods. Anyway, she got it. She was going to put a little bit of it in there, just enough to get her uh, his um, wife and daughter sick. Well, she fucked up and stuck too much in there, and it killed him. Well... Uh, the uh, owner, the woman's husband found out her, her, uh, I don't know, you can call him, he's not really her boss, but, and I don't like saying her owner because that's just not wrong, not right to say that. We'll just say her boss for now. Anyways, her boss, you know, was mad and I guess he found out and a lynch party got together and I, and they hung her. Say her spirit still haunts the place. And that's who was uh, in the picture that day. So, little little fun fact for you. Thought you might like that. That story was okay, but it kind of went into detail more of that photograph. Instead of saying when it was built, who died there, and the stories. Next time I'll do a little bit more reading before I print something up. See, the reason I don't read it too much, because I want to kind of be surprised... And have organically hear it, like when y'all hear it. You know what I mean? So, I'm sorry if I try to be a professional. I don't need this. Huh. Old notes. Well, I am going to get ready for the next story. Let's see what we got. Okay. All right, well, I've got all my stuff ready for the next one. Let me take a quick break, 
and get something to drink, and I'll be right back. You ever look up at the sky at night and look at the stars and wonder, are we the only ones really out here? Have you ever wondered how much our government hides from us? Have you ever wondered why so many mysteries go unsolved? What really happens? What's the clues? What's the evidence? Ever wonder if Bigfoot or Mothman is real? Then, if so, come listen to this podcast called What's Really, really, out, really there? out There. And I am your host, Stephanie Booth. And, and I am my your father. co-host, Stephen Booth, Hafaja. And if you're into UFOs, Unsolved Urban Lake, murders, unsolved mysteries, murders, mysteries uh, unexplained stuff that happened, urban legends. We're into all of that. Conspiracy stuff, too. We go dive into that. So if you're looking for a new podcast that tells that kind of stuff, then you uh, need to listen to What's, what's really, really Out, out there. there. And we are on Spotify and iHeart and Pandora, I think. But we are... Pretty much on every platform. Mm -hmm. We have a YouTube channel, too, or channel. So go check that out. It's called What's Really Out There. So come check us out. Once again, I'm your co host, Stephen Booth. And I'm your host, Stephanie Booth. And this is What's, What's Really, really out, out There. We'll see you at the next episode, guys. Well, I hope you like that little commercial. Our next. Story is Arnold's Restaurant in Louisiana. Matter of fact, it's in New Orleans, baby. Okay. In 1918, a French wine salesman named Arnold, Arnold decided, not Arnold, but Arnud, Arnud decided to jump into thriving New Orleans restaurant industry. The result was Arnuts, which today is one of the uh, four restaurants in in the uh, world serving authentic Sorali cuisine, known collectively as the Great Damage, or the Great Demise, I'm sorry. Ha, <laughs> I'm a dummy. The Great Demise. Not only does Arnold's have the uh, largest kitchen in the city, it's the biggest restaurant in New Orleans to this, to this day. In addition to the largest setting capacity, the restaurant also has 14 private dining rooms, a massive bar, and a Mardi Gras museum. But Arnold's has a uh, dirty secret. <coughs> Behind the best oyster... Benville in town are some of the uh, tastiest ghosts New Orleans has ever has has to offer. I'm sorry. Has some of the tastiest ghosts New Orleans has to offer. I didn't know ghosts were tasty. I knew they were scary. In addition to the... Okay, I already said that. I already said that. Okay... Count, Arn Count Arnold, as he likes to be called, has been spotted wearing his favorite tuxedo 
while patiently patiently observing the restaurant's operations. Despite the fact that he died in 1948, Count Arnaud still runs the restaurant from the afterlife. If he doesn't like something, he makes sure that he gets it fixed. He's been known to uh, rearrange silverware and furniture to suit his liking. The uh, Count's daughter, Germania, also haunts the restaurant. She keeps an eye on the uh, Mardi Gras Museum as it uh, houses some of her favorite dresses. Guests and staff at the restaurant claim to uh, occasionally see her ghost as misty apparition floating around the museum. She's also been spotted coming out of the ladies' room. Well, a girl's always got to tighten up, ladies and gentlemen, whether she's a ghost or a human. She's got to tidy up. Where am I at? Coming out of the back. Okay. Hey, ghost. Oh, her ghost has... What? Hey, ghost. Oh, it's being a funny. It said, hey, ghosts have to use the bathroom, too. Anyways, the early days of Arnaud's. Arnaud's was a wine salesman from France trying to make it in the uh, Big Easy. Dang it. My pages are sticking. I didn't do it. He just, he decided to get into the restaurant in, industry after seeing some of the bigwigs around town dropping serious cash at high-end restaurants. In 1918, he launched uh, Arnold's, the Arnold's, his namesake Carly restaurant catering to the city's uh, socialist. Despite being a garnered, garnered to the locals, Count Arnold attacked in a international follow attracted an international following arnold's was a uh, profitable very pro- profitable so much that they invested their money towards the restaurant expansion count arnold began buying up uh, a dish or a uh, he started buying up properties to grow his business he bought 13 other buildings on the block, many of them used as brothels and opium dens are over an or outer rate. Uh, I'm not gonna say that, that's gross. Anyways, it was just a uh, makeshift doctor's offices, you know, stuff like that. The slums of town. Well, he he got it and turned it into the restaurant. He used the extra space to expand his kitchen which today is still the largest kitchen in New Orleans. He also built a grand ballroom, several private dining rooms, and private corridors for his VIP guest. Unfortunately for the Count, Prohibition would pump the brakes on his business. Being a former wine salesman, the Count wasn't going to let legal uh, let legally get into the way of his culturally traditions he he circumvented the laws by offering the uh, customers coffee that they could get a, get anywhere else 
He used his private dining rooms and hidden back doors and bars and rooms as uh, safe uh, safe spaces where his customers would drink freely. Eventually, the long nose of the law sniffed out Arnold's hidden speakeasies. The Count was arrested and his restaurant shut down and padlocked. He fought the uh, allegations in court and won, just in time for the end of probation. Arnold's really take off, took off during the uh, thundering 30s. It became the leading restaurant in New Orleans, leaving the competition far behind it is uh, in its wake. The city's business class made it their go-to spot for work, lunches, Friday night dinners, and it was a must for out-of-towners who, uh, who came to Arnold's for the taste of the real New Orleans. Arnold had over 50 items on the menu, including nine different preparations of oysters and 16 different styles of potato dishes. Holy shit. Uh... Count Arnold wanted the uh, menu to appeal to appeal to foodies and casual diners alike. After the uh, devastation of World War II, Arnold's began to attract a different type of customer. As Europe was in shambles, they well off decided to leave their worn, torn countries and travel the globe. The unique cultures of New Orleans and the French Quarter attracted many expands looking to lighten up their darkness of the war. The city began an international tourist destination, and Arnold's was, the li- was on the list of must-to-see places. Unfortunately, the Count's health was in decline. He passed away in 1948, just a few months before his 72nd... Excuse me, birthday. His daughter, Carmine uh, Arnold, was given the uh, keys to the kingdom. Despite her uh, boisterous personality, she ran the uh, restaurant like like a well-oiled machine. She was uh, known for... She was known for her heavy-hated... Or her heavy-handed tactics, which were a result of her desire to uphold her father's reputation, even through, even through, even though she did not have the business, the business savvy like her uh, dad did. One needed to run the re- that one needed to run a restaurant. She knew uh, theater, Grammy. Uh, anyways, the daughter used. Her expressions on stage to give her the motivation to keep the ship afloat. In 1978, she sold the restaurant to the Gasparano family. Why the question is difficult to answer. It wasn't a, a legal decision, but the outcome couldn't have been better. While, your, while the daughter constantly got offers from several business people, who wanted to purchase the restaurant? She settled on the uh, on Archie Casabran. Casabran. 
Firstly, while she did not want to sell the restaurant, she was forced to sell to remain financially uh, solvent. Oh, so she was going broke. God, what a retard. Blew her money. They had the same intention. They said the same initials, smoked the same cigars, and the same facial features, and spoke French fluently. Archie knew how to run a business, and he had been running hotels in Garrio, New York, and uh, New Orleans for decades. By the time he bought Arnold's, it was uh, beginning to fall apart. He restored the restaurant to its original grandeur. grandeur. He uh, reinvented. Anyways, he uh, redid the original furnishings. The he redid the original furnishings from the uh, from the uh, tables to the chairs, to the chandeliers, all the way down to the original ceiling fans. Arnold's is now the fourth generation Casbaran management. So four generations of this family has owned its restaurant. That's only the second family to own its restaurant in its history. That's pretty cool. That's uh, something to be proud about. The restaurant survived Hurricane Katrina and was one of the first restaurants to reopen after the storm even offering a full menu upon reopening. Today, Arnold's is one of the uh, fourth grand... Anyways, it's one of the fourth places along with uh, Broussard's and Antonio's and Galatori's to go visit while in New Orleans. Now, let's go over the ghost of the place. In the spirit of New Orleans, you can have a meal at Arnold's without somebody spooky without someone spooky visitors. Even though the Count passed away in 1948, <coughs> he spends nearly half a century watching over the restaurant's operations. Apparently, he apparently he does not want any mistakes that might uh, tarnish his name. Even though the uh, Carbons are now the uh, rightful owners of the uh, restaurant, everyone knows that behind the scenes, the count is the count is the real one running the show. Well, like I've said, a lot of these ghosts, you know, they get they got such a passion for something or a place, and that's their routine. They do that every day, and they get stuck in that routine. And when they die, they get. That's going to suck if that's really how it is when you die. Can you, fuck, doing the same thing, waking up, reliving the same crap? Uh, okay, the count can be seen in the corners of the restaurant. Out of the way, but still keeping a watchful eye. He prefers to stand at the far left corner of the main dining room, when things are really busy. He appears as a tall man with a mustache and tuxedo and seems like a normal staff member or guest at first glance. He's always smiling, seamlessly satisfied with the smooth operation of his namesake and establishment. Don't let his smile, don't let his smile uh, fool you. 
Yeah, don't let it smile for you, though. The count is uh, quite... Uh, mm. The count is quite strict. Even from the uh, afterlife, he feels the need to still watch over his restaurant and its affairs. It's something. If something isn't right, you better be sure that he will fix it. The accountant has been known to rearrange tables, chairs, silverware, furniture, and it isn't up to. And if it's not up to his standards, some of the staff members have even members even blame the ghost of the account for broken dishes and restaurant mishaps. So you piss him off, shit ain't running too right. He's still gonna come over there and smack the plate out of your face. So. The daughter is more calmly seen floating around the uh, Mardi Gras Museum. She was known to lead her own parade during the Mardi Gras, if only to show off her new dresses. Those same outfits are kept in the museum, and rumor has it that she keeps an eye on them and makes sure no one messes with them. That's creepy. The bar was one of the uh, many buildings bought in the bought by the account to expand his restaurant. It turns out that Rachel Louis in particular was an uh, opinion den an opium den when Arnold purchased it. Many staff members claim that temperatures in the bar are known to drop dramatically at random. They attribute the uh Phenom to the spirits of the opium den of the opium addicts who were ang angry at the loss of their favorite drug house. It may be, you never know. Well, that was it for that story. So that one's got a lot of uh, spooky, spooky stuff. Man, I don't know if that'd be crazy working at a place like that because you see a lot of old restaurants like that. On these shows that are like haunted. It's crazy. I don't know what I would do. If I came in across something like that. I've seen I've seen something before. But it startled me. But if I really had something touch me. Or just look at me. I'd be like what the. F yeah but they say this guy still. Um, keeps watch over his. Uh, his restaurant and stuff. So. And his uh, daughter apparently. Sits there and. Uh. Watches over the uh, dresses that she loved so much when she was alive. But it's cool that they uh, keep it traditional. They keep the look of it traditional and stuff. That's pretty cool. I like that. And then they keep her dresses up in the museum. That's awful nice of them. Awful nice. Well, guys, I don't know about you, but it's late. I'm scared. And uh, I need to go night-night. But I need to wrap this up, get it edited, get it ready for you guys in the morning. Don't forget, check out the YouTube. Check us out on Ghost on uh, Facebook. Ghost Stories Talk from the South. You can get this uh, podcast pretty much on any platform now. Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, YouTube, yeah, iTunes, uh, Stitch, or Stitcher. Uh, Anchor. I mean, we're pretty much everywhere now, guys. So you can pick us up anywhere. 
want to say thank you guys for listening around the world. You guys don't forget to hit that subscribe button and uh, download some stuff for me. Be good to Stephen LaBooth, please. But yeah, you guys are doing good. But come on, man. We need to get a little bit more downloads and a little bit more followers, guys. Keep spreading the word about my good show I try to do. But I hope uh, my readings sometimes don't sound too stinking blah, blah. So, but you guys check us out on all them platforms if you want or check us out anywhere. Go check out the YouTube. Uh, sometimes I do videos, sometimes I don't. But uh, you guys on YouTube hit the subscribe button too. Tell your friends. But I guess that's about it. Just want to say thank you once again, guys. Y'all, uh, y'all are making me feel good. Whenever I have a bum day, I like coming in here and doing my podcast, telling my ghost stories. But I'm going to get on out of here. You guys be good. Be real. This has been Stephen LeBooth from Ghost Stories Told from the South. You'll be creepy now and don't get too scared tonight when you go to bed. <laughs> See you later.